Uh, Leviticus chapter 11 is where we're going to start. If you want to go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. But here we are all together at 1030, and I'm really glad of it. Um, you know, while our auditorium is able to accommodate us, this is something that's been on my heart since the summer when we were all together, is why not be together if, if the auditorium can accommodate such. And so um, here we are. So we'll be doing this for a few weeks and see where we we are, because I think that there's a that, that there's a an opportunity to build a sense of cohesiveness and a sense of greater community when we are able to be together. This also very much helps our amazing serve team volunteers who um, are just incredibly engaged and committed to the life of the church and. Um, And we want to grow those serve teams, which would be wonderful. This would be a great time to be able to do that. We would love to have more people on the usher team or on our greeter team or even in our porch kids. Uh, We would love to have that happen. So if that's something you're thinking, oh, I I could maybe do that. It's not that big of an ask, really, when you think about it. You can go to theporchcc.com. You can click on Next Steps and get connected. And... um, and so, yeah, that's something we just really want to, uh, to see grow and this sense of community develop. Uh, one more thing I want to say about one service before we, we jump in, um, and that is uh, you might have already seen it. If, you're on our, if, you, if you get a couple of emails from us, you might see this, but we're saying, hey, when you do come to worship while we're doing this 1030 thing together, is go ahead and start making the effort to just move on into the row whenever you get here so that you're making room for others. So like if you're on the sides, move on in. Or if you're in the middle, move on in. And it just makes it, definitely makes it easier for our usher team to be able to do that. So just think about that. Um, You may have noticed that the table is here this morning. It's the first Sunday of the month, and so we're sharing communion together. And this is always a wonderful time as the body of Christ. Now, This might be the first time you're here that we are sharing communion together. And so what I would say about that is you are welcome at the table. You're welcome at the table. All who are in relationship with God and who desire to be in that relationship and to grow closer to him are welcome at the table of communion. You don't have to be a member of the church or or, or know anything like, you know, the secret handshake, as we like to say. It's you're welcome at the table the table. So we'll be sharing that a little bit later. Um, Okay, so we're in this fifth week of our series. Uh, We've kind of gone through the sections and worked through these together. And today our our focus is in Leviticus chapters 11 through 15. Um, That's kind of where we're we're zooming in. Um, And the, the focus here is on what is clean and what is unclean. What is clean and what is unclean? If you have ever parented a middle school child, you know you, have, you deal with this on the regular, right? Um, just think about it for a minute. You're there. Um, so here in just in chapter 11, just chapter 11, the words clean and unclean appear at least 36 times in chapter 11. And up to this point, what we know in chapters 1 through 10 is that it's, it's been about how can we approach God? How can a sinful people approach God? And being clean and unclean continues this. It carries this same theme. We need to know how we can approach God. Justin mentioned last week, he said it again this morning, um, that we can take our coming into worship together for granted. Like we don't, we don't necessarily stop and think about 
what transpired for us to be able to, to call on the name of the Lord, to, to stand in his presence. Um, we just don't quite comprehend it. This is the whole reason we're doing this series on Leviticus, is for us to understand how Leviticus was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Um, sacrifices have got to be made to pay for sins. I mean, that's repeated over and over and over again. There must be a sacrifice paid for the sins. And in Leviticus, it's, it's about the priests, the, the Levites, and there are these priests who, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, they make sacrifices for the people. They, they make these sacrifices, and the people come to make sacrifices, and the priest is there to assist them. And if all of those people, the players in that, that setting, are not clean, well, <laughs> death is often the result. So being clean or, or knowing if you're unclean and getting clean is really, really important in Leviticus, in the law, before the cross ever comes onto the scene. So here's what I want us to do. So chapter 11 is about food, what you can eat, what you can't eat. We'll talk about that for a minute. And then we'll shift gears and focus on uh, chapters 12 through 14, which are, um, okay, so food can be clean or unclean, but chapters 12 through 14, we find out that people can be unclean or clean as well, like nasty, like gross. And in case you, bodies are messy, um, changing bodies are messy, childbirth is messy, illnesses and disease are messy, all this goes on. And, and chapters 12 through 15 cover this in pretty graphic detail, and we're not going to get down into, into that today. So let's start with food, okay? If you're not totally grossed out, so you're going to have a wonderful lunch today. Um, so chapter 11 regarding clean and unclean food, all right? There's this whole section, and it goes through the land animals and insects and marine animals, you know, the, the animals in the water and the animals of the air and the animals that scurry along the ground, and it's on and on, and it goes into detail about what of those animals in those categories are okay for God's people to eat. And you go and read this later. Go read in the detail, because you'll go, why would anybody ever want to eat that? Well, they didn't have Chick-fil-A, so... Maybe, you know, maybe that reptilian thing sounded kind of good, you know, at the time. So, but there was, what can you eat and what can you not eat? And there's this distinction that God makes. And the only thing we know for sure is that it's about God keeping us separate and, and, and his people. He wants us to be separate. He wants us to be set apart. Because he has this really interesting criteria, which is in regard to land animals, if they chew their cud, okay, you know what the cud is? Some of you do, okay? Animals that have like two stomachs, you know, they'll, they'll eat some food and then they'll go, hey, yeah, this is pretty good. They'll bring it back up and chew on it some more, okay? Again, I know lunch is gonna be great today. All right, so if, if it chews its cud and the hooves of its feet are parted, then that's okay to eat. That's a clean animal. All right, but if it doesn't do both of those, then then do not eat it. Um, a camel chews its cud. I don't know if you knew that. Now you do, but the hoof doesn't part, so don't eat the camel. A pig, it parts its hoof, but it doesn't eat its cud. So for the Le Levitical people, don't eat the pig. All right, a cow parts its hoof, 
and chews its cud. So go ahead and eat the cow. The cow is clean. The cow is edible. And it goes on into this. There's a point to all this. There's animals in the water. And the requirements for that were, does it have fins and does it have scales? Easy enough, right? Well, what about the sweet little dolphins, okay? Because they have fins. But they don't have scales, so don't eat the dolphin. A lobster. Some of you are like, oh, a lobster, right? It didn't have fins or scales. So if you were living in the times of Leviticus, you could not have lobster, all right? There was a set-apartness. What about a largemouth bass? Let's do that, okay? Fins, scales, good to go, all right? So you could eat that, all right? Again, remember, there were no fast food joints, so he even goes into insects. I don't know who would want to eat a house fly or a green beetle, but that was on the no list. Don't eat it, okay? I understand why, but you could eat a cricket or a grasshopper, and it has to do with the joints of its legs, all this detail. Why? Why, why, why? Forgot to mention, you get into verses 24 through 40 of chapter 11, and it's, well, let's just put it this way. When you see the semi-fresh deer on the side of the road, don't pick it up, Billy Bob, okay? Do not touch dead carcasses, okay? Don't have anything to do with dead animals. Don't touch them. Don't eat them, all right? In Leviticus 11, after giving these very, very detailed instructions, it concludes with this in verse 46. These are the instructions. So it's referring to kind of what I just gave a review of. These are the instructions regarding land animals, birds, marine creatures, and animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 47, by these instructions, you will know what is clean and what is unclean, and which animals may be eaten and which may not be eaten. Every animal that God says can be, is clean for eating. Every animal that is sacrificed is on the clean for eating list. Every animal that God views as acceptable to bring for a sacrifice is on the clean eating list. And you know what we see in that? What God consumes, we get to consume. He says, I am holy. He says, I want you to be holy. God is set apart from us. He wants us. God is set apart. And he wants us to be set apart from the world. He actually wants us to follow him, to obey his commands, and be like him. And friends, what we see in, in, in all of the Old Testament is that it is this, this constant quest and it's never enough. That's why we view Leviticus and we read Leviticus through the cross of Jesus. That's why when you participate in, in communion in just a few moments, we do so through the cross of Jesus. That's why it switches from what some call a Passover meal, celebrating an Old Testament moment, to now it becoming holy communion for you and me. Right? Everything that happened in the old has now been fulfilled in the new and all through the cross. So we eat what God eats. We will do what God does. This is how he sets this up. This is why. I keep saying why, why. This is why. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. And the main idea of holiness is this. It's about being clean. It's about being pure. 
But with the idea of holiness, it comes something else, which is very closely linked. And it's the idea of being separate, set apart. And both of these are true of God. He's an absolute pure being. He's entirely set apart. He's distinct. And as Israel would keep these laws in Leviticus, it would help to keep them removed from other people. It would help to keep them removed. It would help to keep them distinct. It would help them be separated from all the nations surrounding them who had practices and ate certain foods and, and, and did certain forms of worship that were not how God prescribed. So it's not just about food, though. There's the, there's the whole aspect of the messy bodies that happen in, in Leviticus 12 through 15. And in this, in the, in the chapters of 12 through 15, it, it talks about things like diseases and mold and mildew and a bunch of other just stuff that you don't really want to talk about or read about. And you go, why is this in the Bible? It contains these subjects for a, a very important reason. Yes, sanitation, of course. Cleanliness and our physical health are something that God is very much um, uh, concerned for for us. It's important for us. Uh, it's important to our creator that we be healthy. But lurking behind like the, the nasty subject of, 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 you know, how things can get really gross is this deeper issue. And it's this. It's the disease of sin. It's a disease of sin. And when we view sin in terms of when we start to look at sin as that is a spiritual disease, that is something that will wreck my life. That is something that will, that will take me down. That is something that will, will debilitate me. That is something that will make it impossible for me to function. That is something that where I used to be healthy, now because of my disease of sin, I've now introduced this unhealth into this situation or this circumstance or this relationship. God wants us to be set apart, not to look at everyone else and go, you're bad, you're unclean, and you're horrible, but so that we go, God, you are holy, and I want to be like you. I want to be closer to you, God. That's the whole point of all of this. I mean, holiness is really nothing more than spiritual cleanliness when you think about it. So a person would present themselves to the priest, and the priest had this job. I, I, don't, I don't think I would want this job, but this is what came with the job of being a Levitical priest. A person would present themselves to the priest, and the priest would look them over, I don't know, ask them questions, and the priest would declare whether you were clean or unclean. Clean or unclean? And if you got the designation of being unclean, well, what would happen is, is that you would have to be separated from the camp. You would have to be separated from your people for a time. You would have to go outside of the camp, and depending on the, the nature of your uncleanliness would determine how long you were outside of the camp. You definitely do not come near the tent of God, the tabernacle. Don't come close to it. This is what chapter 15, verse 31 says. Because 
Now, up to this point, how I'm setting all this up, what you might be hearing is, okay, clean, clean, clean and unclean, and God says do this and, 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 and stay away from that, and okay, follow these rules, and I don't, you know, someone's going to tell me whether I'm clean or not, and, and you see the legalism, right? You see the, the, the legal process that is set up here. I mean, this is what it is. It is the law, and it just seems void of, of hope. It, when you look at it, it seems void of, of grace when you look at it, if you look at it at the surface. But I will tell you something. In verse 31 and 15, it doesn't use the word grace, but let me tell you, here we see the grace and the mercy of God. This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanness. Otherwise, they would die, for their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. Now, depending on how you read that, you might go, well, that's just a, a statement of fact. But God is saying, I don't want you to die. So I'm telling you what's clean and I'm telling you what's unclean. I don't want you to die, so I'm going to put a priest in between us who's going to follow these laws and who's going to look and say, are you clean or unclean? I don't want you to die, and so I'm not going, you, don't come close to the tent. Don't come close to the tabernacle. Don't even think about entering if you are unclean. Because I don't want you to die. I want you to live. You can, you can read Leviticus as a bunch of rules that don't make sense and actually kind of set God up to, to be a not, not a very nice being. Or you can view Leviticus as he wants to be in relationship with us. And so he shows us the boundaries. He shows us what is required. And ultimately, he shows us that we do need a priest to stand in for us. We most certainly do. So the separation that happens with unclean or clean, it's not about judgment coming upon someone. It's actually about protection. It's about protection. They're separated so they won't defile, they won't pollute God's holy tabernacle. Because if you bring pollution into the holiness of God, you're done. So how then, okay, if you're, if you're tracking with me, how then do we deal with the uncleanliness that is going to happen? How is it going to happen? How do you deal with it? Well, what we know in Leviticus so far is here are these Levitical laws to follow. See, uncleanliness in the Old Testament was rectified through the Levitical sacrifices. That's all they had. That's all they had to handle their uncleanliness. That's it. There wasn't, is there something else? No. All they had was the law. That's it. Now, this is to me, this is crucially important to know. The sacrifices that we have looked at over the last couple of weeks do not heal a person. They don't. So if someone has a, an illness, a sickness, and they come before the priest, and they're declared unclean, and they follow the rules, and they go outside of the camp for a while, and then they come and they're finally able to make a sacrifice, those sacrifices and all that the priest said and did do not heal that person. It doesn't happen. 
The priest hasn't been given that authority, the, that uh, ability, that, that, that work of God to be able to do that. All a priest can do is in, in Leviticus is call something clean or unclean. Declare it so. They had, a priest had nothing to do uh, with people's symptoms. They just were basically handing out status. Here you go clean, here you go clean, here you go clean, oh, unclean, <laughs> clean. I mean, this is what they did. That's all, it was, they checked it out according to the law, followed the rules and said clean or unclean. That's what they did. And, and that's the problem with the law in Leviticus on its own. That is the problem. It only proves what's right and what's wrong, what is clean and what is unclean, what is holy and what is sinful. That's all the law does. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Now, I've been saying this every week, that we need to make sure that when we read Leviticus, we read it through the cross. We read it through the filter of the cross. You and I are not reading Leviticus as people who don't know who Jesus is. We're not looking at Leviticus, reading it as if we don't know that there is a Messiah. We don't, we, we don't read Leviticus and go, it, could there possibly be somebody who could save the world? We don't. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily believe it, but this is 2022, and you live in Georgia, in the United States of America. You've heard about Jesus. And you've heard somebody say that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And you've heard somebody say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart that you'll be saved. I'm not saying you believe that today, but you've heard this information. We sang about it. We've prayed about it. Okay? We read Leviticus through that understanding. If you're a follower of Jesus... We read Leviticus through the cross. Because if we don't, then it's just law, and it's just status, and friends, it's going nowhere. Nowhere. So if you happen to be someone of faith, and you believe in God, but your faith looks more like a faith in Leviticus, and less like what we're about to read in Romans 3. Friends, I'm glad you're here today. Because the opportunity is before you to embrace life and hope. And, and someone who loves you so much that he stood in your place. See, we do have a Savior. We do have a Messiah. We do have someone whose name is Jesus. Beginning in verse 19, Paul writes, Obviously, obviously, so it's like if you don't get it, you, now you got it. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That's all the law does, clean or unclean. And eventually, friends... Uh, Whoever in here is the most hygienic and you like, you know, like you got your brush and you do your thing with your nails and you do something, some funky something with your ear to drink. I don't know. Like you could be the cleanest person, the squeakiest clean person in this room. But I got to tell you, 
it's still not enough. It's still not enough. To show the entire world was guilty before God. Verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. See, we should understand reading the law of Leviticus is that it's futile. It's like we're never going to be able to do this. But now God has shown a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And it's referring to the law of the Old Testament. Wow, I can be made right with God without keeping all of that law? As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22. We are made right with God by following a new set of rules. No. By following an updated version of what was handed out in Leviticus. No. Nope. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. We can come into the tent. We can come into the tabernacle. We can present ourselves to him. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Not a cow or a turtle dove, not a lamb. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People, us, are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice. It shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. See, what Jesus did is he abolished the distinction between clean and unclean. We, we read that, you can read that in Matthew 15. He abolished that. Through a series of teachings and visions, we know in Acts chapter 10 that God overturns the food laws. And now there is no animal that's unclean or clean. So eat that green beetle if you want to. I don't know. But understanding all of this in Leviticus, it makes Jesus' ministry 
all the more amazing. When we just read in verse 23 of Romans 3 that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.12 tells us that all people are separated from God. We're all separated. And, it's in, and here, here's the deal. It's as if our lives have been spent outside of the camp. Unable to get in because of our uncleanliness. Because of our sin. But Jesus... Unlike the priests who could have nothing, once the priest was like, oh, you're unclean. The priest would have nothing to do with the unclean. The priest would have nothing to do with you if there was something wrong, whether your physical health or you ate something you shouldn't have or, or you, you broke some law. The priest would have nothing to do with you except by declaring you clean or unclean. But Jesus did not keep himself separated from those outside of the camp. He did not keep himself separated from those who were supposed to stay away from the tabernacle. Do you know what he did? Jesus left the tabernacle. Jesus left the Holy of Holies. And he came to be among us. And he came straight up to the unclean. And he touched them and he healed them and he forgave their sins. And he did this to show that none of us are outside of his reach. None of us. See, the priests would have to wait for that ailment to clear up. If it was a body thing. You know what Jesus does? <laughs> he speaks a word and they're instantly healed. They touch the hem of his garment and they're clean. See, the priest just was about status. You are or you're not. Jesus changed people's symptoms and their status. Jesus changes, changes your symptoms and your status. See, your symptoms are you're sick. Apart from him, you're sick. Apart from him, you are unclean. Apart from him, you, you, you're, it's not good. He changes that. And he changes your status. And then it's not even that we're called clean. It's that we're called sons and daughters. It's, it's that we're called co-heirs with Christ. Jesus would, would declare people to be ritually clean and physically healed. And so what Leviticus could only perform as a ritual, Jesus, Jesus performs as a reality. What was just ritual in the Old Testament becomes reality in the New. And so the good news is that we don't have to wait until our, our uncleanliness clears us to approach Jesus. Yet that's how a lot of us think. I just got to get it together first. And maybe you're here today getting it together. And I'm glad that you are. But I want to tell you some really good news. You don't, ha you don't have to do any more getting together. Just come to Jesus. Because he's already come to you. He comes, he comes out to us while we are still in, in that place of disease, and he brings holiness to us. 
And so these regulations found in Leviticus, all they are, friends, and, and I know you're going, why are we studying it? But it, it's, it's, it makes the New Testament alive. There, Leviticus is a shadow, but it points to Jesus. And under this new covenant, all people are made clean through the sacrifice of Jesus' blood. And that's what is amazing about the, the symbolism of communion. See, we, we are sharing in what was sacrificed for us so that we would be made right with God. And he invites us to the table. He's not going, oh, clean, unclean, clean, unclean. It's like, do you want to come? Do you want to be made well? I've done it for you, Jesus says. Will you come and receive? Will you come and receive? In John chapter 6, verse 35, I'll ask the band to come out. This is what God's word says. Jesus spoke and he said, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What Jesus makes available to us, friends, sustains us. It cleanses us. It makes us right with God. I'll ask those who are serving if they will come and and prepare uh, to serve you and prepare the elements. Let's pray together. Father, we if we don't realize that we are sinners in need of grace in this moment, I I I don't know. Um, What else to say? But more importantly, God, beyond the awareness of our sin, I pray that we find your grace, your mercy, your promise, your hope, your great, great love for us through Jesus Christ. And it is simple. It is as simple as saying yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins. Thank you, Lord, that you gave up your life so that we might find ours. Thank you, Lord, that the ultimate sacrifice has been made so that we may enter in and be close to you and worship you. Lord, may our participation in communion this morning be a recognition of that great sacrifice.